G'day and welcome to the Dolby Anglican Podcast. My name is David and I'm one of the ministers at Dolby Anglican Parish. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit anglicandolby.org.au. This week's sermon is entitled Good News Transformed, and it's the last part of our Frontline Good News from Dr. Luke series, uh, part number one. And it focuses on Luke chapter 9, verses 28 to 43, and Jesus' transfiguration on the mountaintop. We hope you enjoy the sermon. The Lord be with you. And also with you. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Luke. Chapter 9, beginning at the 27th verse. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as white as the flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, They saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to the two themselves, and did not tell anyone at the time what they had seen. The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit has seized him, and suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, How long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw himself to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the impure spirit, 
healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at his greatness of God. Today, as I said before, is Transfiguration Sunday. And transfiguration is just a fancy word for a change of form or appearance. When a jelly bean-sized joey grows into a kangaroo, that's transfiguration. Or when a tiny little grub grows into a cocoon and then grows into a beautiful butterfly, that's transfiguration. Or when uh, barley hops sugar and water walk into the right kettle at the right temperatures, they are transformed into beer. (laughs) But Transfiguration Sunday isn't just about an everyday transformation. This day points us to the day when Jesus took Peter, James and John with him and went up a mountain to pray. And we have that on the next slide. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. Now, this is one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible, mainly because it's so weird. Why does Jesus take his mates up the mountain? Why the bright lights? Why the old guys? Jesus goes up, then he comes down, then he busts a ghost, and then he continues on his mission. Well, believe it or not, friend, as we look at this strange account of climbing mountains with Jesus and ghost-busting with Jesus, we're going to see some real applications for our lives today. So first of all, climbing mountains with Jesus. Over the last six Sundays, we've been looking at the story of Jesus' life written by one of his mates, Luke. And we've seen some amazing things. We saw how Jesus preached in his hometown and his listeners, his own people, tried to throw him off a cliff. Or we saw the time Jesus crashed a fishing trip and turned fishermen into fishers of men. Last week, we saw Jesus teaching people on a plane about loving their neighbours. So far in Luke, Jesus has been preaching, teaching, healing, and revealing to us who he truly is. And so as Jesus grabs his three mates, Peter, James, and John, and they reach the peak of this mountain, probably Mount Hermon, Jesus goes full God mode, as Micah said in the kids' talk. Full God mode. The bright lights show his holiness, and the fact that he appears with Moses and Elijah takes things to another level. Moses is a little bit like the Superman of the Bible. He saw God's people suffering in slavery in Egypt, and by God's power, he leads them to freedom. The great exodus. The day when one million slaves walked free into God's country. People in Israel still remember this event thousands of years later. We might go to the the next slide, Tom. There we go. There's a picture of the two. And so if Moses is Superman, then Elijah is Batman, the Dark Knight. Elijah was an outcast prophet who lived many years after Moses. 
Elijah's message from God was repent, turn your lives around, turn them away from darkness to goodness, to light. And then just like with Moses, God whisked Elijah up to heaven. There was even a prophecy in the book of Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament, that Elijah would come back on the day of the Lord. He would turn people's hearts back to God and bring about a new exodus, a new march into freedom. And what we hear in Luke 9.31 is absolutely key. So go back two slides, Tom. Is absolutely key to understanding this whole story. What were Elijah and Moses talking about with Jesus on the mountain? It'd be great if we could get a look. And Luke gives us that look. They spoke about his departure, which literally the word used here for departure is his exodus. They talked about Jesus' exodus, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Luke uses this specific word, exodus, to describe Jesus' departure. Just as Moses brought about the first exodus and Elijah the second exodus, Jesus' death will bring about the ultimate exodus. Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension will be his departure, his great freeing moment. Jesus has already told his disciples earlier in chapter 9 that he must die to save people. He needs to die for their sins. And while the disciples don't get it, Moses and Elijah do. Now, Peter and James and John are falling asleep. They've had a long day of mountain walking. And as they notice their superheroes, Moses and Elijah, are about to go, they wake up. And Peter wants to make this moment last. So if you look at Luke 9.33, which is two slides on, he says, Master, it is good for us to be here. That's what we sang in our first hymn. How good, Lord, to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. (laughs) I love that little detail because it it sounds like me. I often babble the first words that come into my head. And it seems like Peter is doing that. But there's actually something profound about what he says, whether it's by mistake or whether it's intentional. Back in Moses' day, people made shelters. They made tents as they were going to freedom in Egypt, from Egypt. One of the cool things is they made a tent for God. God camped with his people as they were going and marching on to freedom. It was called the tabernacle, where people would go and meet with God. It was good to have God in the center of the camp, and God traveled with the people as they were marching on their exodus into freedom. Perhaps Peter thinks that this is a way to keep the moment alive. Or maybe he wants to put God in a box. But God has other plans. And if we look at verse 34 on the next slide, we'll see that while he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen, listen, listen to him. 
This cloud is the glory cloud. It pops up in the Bible whenever God shows himself to his people. From the cloud, God affirms Jesus. He says, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. God is telling us that Jesus isn't a superhero here to save some people for some time. Jesus is the God-man here to save the world for all eternity. And this echoes God's words about Jesus at his baptism. Back in Luke 3.21, at Jesus' baptism, uh, we hear what happened when Jesus was baptized. It says, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. It's in the next slide. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are united in love and affection and purpose. The Holy Trinity. Before Jesus has fed anyone, healed anyone, taught anyone about God, or died to save them, God loves him. That is unconditional divine love. And here at Jesus' baptism and then at the transfiguration are high points where God speaks his love and affirmation over Jesus. But Jesus' baptism and his transfiguration are not the main point of his life. Jesus comes to reveal God's glory to us. But more so, he comes to die on a cross to reveal God's mercy and love for all. The transfiguration is an awesome moment, but it points us to the cross. And perhaps it prepares the disciples for the cross, for that Easter Sunday after Jesus has died, and they're going, oh my goodness, has Jesus failed? They're thinking back, wait a minute, I saw Jesus in glory. Perhaps there's something more to this day. John Cook tells the story of an English bishop who was traveling around India and he preached with an interpreter who interpreted things into Indian. I guess it would have been Hindi. This bishop on that particular day, preaching on Transfiguration Sunday, began by saying, The beatific familiarity of this passage, traditionally associated with quinquagesima, must not cause us to neglect its profundity. The interpreter standing beside him looked at him and thought for a moment and said, the preacher has said nothing worthwhile. I'll let you know when he does. (laughs) We hear about this bright light and this transfiguration and we go, well, what, what use does that have for us today? It has incredible power and incredible usefulness. First, this passage shows us that Jesus brings freedom. He's not just a superhero in a book. Jesus is the truer Moses, the truer Elijah, and he establishes the kingdom of God. At a time when we're fretting about the future, and we're wondering about peace on earth or whether we're going to be descending into World War III, God says this about Jesus. My son is more powerful than Vladimir Putin, Joe Biden, 
and Xi Jinping put together. Where other powers of this world want to enslave you, he has come to give you exodus, to give you freedom. Listen to him. Fix your eyes on him. The world may be scary and unpredictable, but Jesus is the same today, forever. We live in a scary world where it's hard to know who to trust or where to find peace. The transfiguration reminds us that Jesus is worthy of our trust. He gives us real peace and real security. And God is telling us today, listen to him. The second real world application that this story has is that life is eternal. The fact that Moses and Elijah, two guys who lived 600 years apart, hundreds of years before Jesus, show up and chat with him on a mountain, show us that heaven and hell are real and that our lives are more than just the period between our first breath and our last. Are you living for eternity or are you living simply for now? Is your time and energy focused on making this life as comfortable for yourself as possible? Or are you caring for others, sharing the gospel, and investing your time and energy into living for Jesus? I say this every Transfiguration Sunday. What we have here is a little slice of heaven. And this window into heaven should inform the way we live on earth. And this brings us to ghost-busting with Jesus, which is the next part of this passage. And it really helps us understand truly why this passage is so practical. As Jesus comes down from the mountain, a mob meets him. A desperate father steps forward and pleads for his only son. In the next slide we have, he says, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him, and suddenly he screams. It throws him into convulsions, so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him, and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. You can hear the desperation in his voice. These symptoms sound like what we would call epilepsy today, but whatever it is, something evil is happening to this poor boy. The father took his son to the disciples, who at the beginning of Luke 9 are given authority by Jesus, God's authority, to drive out demons. But here, they can't help. Now the question is why? Why couldn't the disciples help the boy? They'd been able to bust ghosts before, but here they seem powerless. Was it because they'd lost their powers? Was it because the people didn't believe in their power? Jesus gets frustrated and says, you unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Jesus' words show us what the problem is. The people are an unbelieving and crooked generation. The father thinks the disciples are superheroes and he's looking to them to heal his son. 
And the disciples are starting to believe their own press. They're starting to believe that they're superheroes and that they should have the power to heal the boy. Everyone in this moment has forgotten about God. As the boy approaches, the evil spirit can't handle being in his presence and he throws him down and Jesus busts the ghost and the boy is healed. The final verse really drives home what our reading is all about. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. It's God who heals the boy. Not the faith of the father or the techniques of the disciples. God. Notice that Jesus busts the ghost and everyone marvels at the greatness of God. What are they saying about Jesus? They're saying that Jesus is God. So while the Father is trusting in the disciples' power and the disciples are trusting in their own, only Jesus has the power to free, to, to make exodus for this little boy and for his family. Here again, this passage has so much to teach us about life. First, we need to see that Jesus calls us into the mess of this world. Jesus doesn't need his disciples, but he brings his disciples down from the mountain with him into the muck of this world. Jesus could have stayed on the cloud in the mountain with God speaking his love over him, but his mission is in the valley. Life is full of highs and lows, points where God is obvious, where our lives are full of light, and we just want to stay there forever. But Jesus shows us that while he will take us to the mountaintops for restoration, and it's good and healthy for us to go to God in prayer and spend good times with God in prayer, God's mission is in the valleys. God is with you in the good times, but he's also with you in the hard times. In healing this sick boy, Jesus is showing us that God's mission is to flood the world with his goodness, to fill our world with heaven's wonder, with healing and wholeness. We may need to stumble around in the valleys, waiting for Jesus, wondering what he's up to but we should never kid ourselves into thinking that we can solve all our problems or that someone other than Jesus can give us what we truly need. Friends, on Wednesday, we are going into the season of Lent. And if we can go to the next slide, I think the vision gives us something really cool here. Lent is a period of 40 days where we can basically go into a cocoon where we can spend time focusing on God, soaking ourselves in the scriptures, repenting and saying sorry to God, and that at Easter time, we break forth. We are renewed. We are transformed. We are transfigured. It was amazing. Uh, yesterday, we went to the National Day of Prayer at Dolby Baptist Church, and there were quite a few um, Dolby Anglicans there, which was really encouraging. And everyone went into uh, the start of this prayer meeting um, looking, um, looking just a little bit disjointed, um, and, and slowly, 
as we began to pray, as we began to rest on God, as we began to go into this cocoon of prayer and adoration for God, we were all transformed. And I looked at the faces of the people as they left, and they were shining. They were reveling in the glory and wonder of God. We went into that room worrying about Ukraine, worrying about flooding, worrying about COVID in our lives. And we went out transfigured. And that's what what God wants to do with us this Lent. God wants us to seek him out, to get to know him more, so that at Easter we would rise and burst out with God's transforming love. Let's pray.